You are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring interviews with key people on the ground in Ukraine and experts in academics, arts, economics, and foreign policy from around the world. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting for the Pacifica Radio Network from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Wishnick, a senior research scientist in the China and Indo-Pacific Security Affairs Division at CNA, on leave from her position as professor of political science at Montclair State University. She is also a senior research scholar at the Weatherhead East Asian Institute at Columbia University. Her current research focuses on international relations in Asia and Chinese foreign policy. Dr. Wishnick speaks to us today about China's policies regarding the war in Ukraine and the complex relations between Russia and China Dr. Elizabeth Wishnick, welcome to Ukraine 242. I don't know how many of our listeners know, I certainly didn't, how important the relationship between China and Russia is, and also how complex the relationship between China and Ukraine is. I wonder if you could give us an overview on that. Thank you for that uh, difficult question. I will try to keep this simple. Uh, China and Russia are strategic partners, short of an alliance, but they have been defining their partnership for over 20 years now. And uh, this is quite a change. In their history, they started out as allies after China became a communist state in 1949. So the two countries were allies for about a decade, and then they split for a variety of political and ideological reasons. They were hostile to one another. They fought a brief war with each other in 1969, and then they slowly began to become friendlier in the 1980s. And their partnership really began to take form after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the mid-1990s. And by 2001, they were calling their partnership a strategic partnership. So this was a time when both countries were facing greater pressure, as they saw it, from Western countries. And so their partnership was meant to give each other some respite from this perceived pressure and also to pursue a cooperation agenda in terms of energy, economic projects, and also some uh, military cooperation. What is China's official position on the war between Russia and Ukraine? China doesn't call it a war. Uh, They use Russia's language that it it is not a war, it's a, a conflict, a situation. And China claims that it is impartial that it does not take sides. And 
Following Russian propaganda, China contends that the conflict is the fault of provocations by NATO and the United States, as the Chinese media say, who are are fueling the fire of this conflict by sending weapons to Ukraine. They parrot false statements by the Russian Defense Ministry about non-existent U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. Um, and this is similar to some of their propaganda on COVID, that where Chinese media claimed falsely that COVID was started by U.S. biolabs in Fort Detrick, Maryland. And so there's a kind of a natural progression from COVID-related propaganda to this Ukraine-related propaganda. They support Russia and the United Nations. They abstained on resolutions that were criticizing Russia's activities in Ukraine. But China has been largely observing the economic sanctions for fear of sanctions against Chinese companies. And there is no evidence that China is providing any material assistance to the Russian military. So in terms of Ukraine, China became interested in Ukraine after it launched a Belt and Road project in 2013 because Ukraine is strategically located at the crossroads of Eurasia and Europe. And Ukraine was important in terms of China's plans for connecting its rail and trade routes from Asia to Europe. And also Ukraine had been an important partner for China militarily. Ukraine was providing some parts for the Chinese military, and actually the first aircraft carrier that China was able to launch was based on one sold by Ukraine to China. Uh, so uh, I think we don't typically think of Ukraine as a partner of China, but in many respects, also in agriculture and energy, they had quite a partnership before the Russian war in 2022. Ukraine is a supplier of corn to China. Yes, China doesn't import that much corn, but Ukraine was an agricultural partner. China also imports wheat as well. China has a problem in that it has very little arable land and, and many of its arable areas face water scarcity. And so they have to import agricultural products from a variety of sources. And for food security reasons, China tries to diversify. And so they used to import from Ukraine and a variety of other places, from Russia, from uh, Kazakhstan. But really now South America is a key area where China imports a lot of agricultural products. Starting last February, what sort of impact has the war had on all of that? This war came at, at a time when China's borders are relatively closed because of COVID. So I think the, the war had a compounding impact on China's economy, which has been in the doldrums as a result of COVID. So Ukraine was a partner for China, but China has a huge market. And so Ukraine's position was relatively small in the context of things. The vastness of the Chinese market means that it's hard for any one country to really be that significant. I mean, the U.S. was very important in providing soybeans to China, but there aren't that many countries that have such a big market capacity. So there's Brazil, Argentina. Um, so Ukraine was not of that scale in terms of agricultural supplies for China. 
But I think for China, the impact of the war has been more on its public face as a global player because it's now perceived as implicitly supporting Russia. And that has affected how other countries view China. It's affected China's relations with European countries and the United States in particular. And so I think that's probably been the, one of the bigger impacts. A second impact has been on the, the Belt and Road because many companies in Europe don't want to have any dealings with Russian companies. And so the Belt and Road, uh, one of its main routes, the West Eurasian route, would go through Russia and West through European countries. And so some of that route went through Ukraine, and obviously that route is not viable. And so that trade route has suffered a lot. To give us a clearer picture of the Belt and Road Initiative, it is a global infrastructure development strategy adopted by the Chinese government in 2013 to invest in more than 150 countries and international organizations. It is considered the centerpiece of President Xi Jinping's foreign policy. Xi originally announced the strategy during an official visit to Kazakhstan in September of 2013 as the Silk Road Economic Belt, the proposed overland routes for road and rail transportation through landlocked Central Asia along the famed historical trade routes of the Western regions, the BRI. The Belt and Road Initiative is a relatively new name. The belt refers to the Silk Road Economic Belt, plans for a revitalized series of ancient overland trading routes connecting Europe and Asia to be built largely with Chinese expertise. Road is short for the 21st century maritime Silk Road, referring to the Indo-Pacific sea routes through Southeast Asia to South Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Xi Jinping outlined plans to additionally establish new sea trade infrastructure along the old Marco Polo route. Central to the Belt and Road Initiative are massive infrastructure investments, creating ports, skyscrapers, railroads, roads, bridges, airports, dams, coal-fired power stations, and railroad tunnels. Moving by train is perfect for high-value industrial products, such as vehicles, machinery, electronics, and computer equipment. The rise in electric vehicle production has boosted made-in-China cars in Europe, which is now the biggest market for Chinese auto exports. That includes Tesla and BMW. Some of the other largest Chinese exports are iron and steel, ceramic products, inorganic chemicals, precious metal compound, isotope, pearls, precious stones, metals, and coins. Ukraine was a significant throughway on the BRI, with Black Sea ports and overland rail routes being advantageously located there. When Russia attacked Ukraine, the Belt and Road Initiative, as originally conceived, is for the most part on hold due to the war. 
because of Russia's strong relationship with China. So China has been forced to redirect its trade south through a Trans-Caspian route that's much less developed, and also through maritime routes. So China has been trying to expand its maritime ties to a variety of countries, uh, Iran and various other countries. Has China's Belt and Road Initiative been shelved for the time being? The Belt and Road Project is having some difficulties because of the Russian war in Ukraine. There are all kinds of other routes that go to Africa, to the Middle East, to Southeast Asia. There's a polar silk road that takes the Arctic route. But this one was kind of the classic Silk Road 2.0 because it was based on some routes that had traditionally gone between Europe and Asia. China does not like the fact that there's a war in the middle of Europe that is upsetting all of its economic plans and its relationships with European countries and also putting China's image in a bad light. The war is largely bad for China, but what would be worse for China is if there were a decisive Ukrainian victory that led to a substantial weakening of Russia where it would not be a useful partner. And so I think there's a bad scenario, which is the present, and there's a worse scenario, which could be the future. And so for China, it's hard to know how to proceed apart from just trying to maintain its, its claim to impartiality. The only good scenario is if Russia miraculously achieves a victory, which leaves Russia in a stronger position. But that seems very unlikely at this point. Would China be willing to take up arms to help maintain that strong alliance with Russia? I would say no. China's not even sending weapons, let alone its own soldiers, to this conflict. I think that would be off the table completely. You are listening to Ukraine 242, an exploration of the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. I am Anne Levine from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts, reporting for the Pacifica Network. Our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Wishnick of Columbia University, discussing China and its role in the war in Ukraine. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Elizabeth Wishnick, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, is heading to Beijing next month. How is all of this affecting the United States' relations with China? Well, U.S.-China relations have been in a deep freeze for a while. So uh, the Trump administration began a trade war with China and Under President Biden, this has been extended into an all-fronts technological competition. And I think what the war in Ukraine has done is highlighted the ideological aspects of U.S.-China competition because the conflict in Ukraine is seen as one between authoritarian Russia and democratic Ukraine. And with China, which is also an authoritarian state, 
seen as supporting Russia. This magnifies the ideological dimension to the U.S.-China relationship. And so that's just one more problem to address. And in all of this, it's become harder for the U.S. and China to focus on the areas where we really do need to cooperate, for example, on climate change. The U.S. and China are the two largest emitters, and without cooperation, it's really hard to do anything about that. So I, I think that the lines of conflict have hardened, and it's more difficult to engage with China. Also, Xi Jinping's government is more authoritarian, and he has made it more difficult for the two countries and the people within them to engage with one another. And the whole COVID issue created additional sources of mistrust and hostility. And also travel barriers have meant that people can't easily travel from one country to another. So I think COVID compounded by Ukraine have made it very difficult for the U.S. and China to address the issues that divide them and to find areas where they might cooperate for mutual benefit. Do you know if Foreign Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, the war will be high on the priority of things to discuss? There will probably be an effort to urge China to to use whatever persuasive power they have with Russia to convince Russia to stop the war, but I doubt that this is going to be very successful. Secretary Blinken and other U.S. officials have repeatedly urged China to refrain from aiding Russia and ask China to help moderate Russian policies. So this isn't any new initiative by the secretary. This is a reiteration of what U.S. policymakers have long been saying. The U.S. and other countries have hoped that China would use its partnership with Russia to convince Putin to stop the war, to negotiate a settlement. And occasionally Chinese leaders have said that they were open to uh, serving as some sort of intermediary. But they have never taken any real actions in this regard, unlike the Turkish officials, for example, who have played a much bigger role as mediators for getting Ukrainian grain out of Black Sea ports, for example. I think China would like to avoid any nuclear use in the conflict. But I don't know if it's in China's interest to take much action. I don't see them being able, first of all, to convince Russia to stop the war. Do you think they perceive Russia as the weaker party in the war with Ukraine? I don't think they believe Russia's necessarily weaker They see the United West fighting, so they see this as an unequal fight because of the support Ukraine has been getting from outside. And they see certain difficulties that Russia has experienced, but these are difficulties of command, of uh, preparation, of training, and doesn't really reflect Russian military power. You know, one reason why China was interested in the partnership with Russia was to learn from a military that they perceived as strong and a peer of the United States, which is their main competitor. And they train regularly with Russian forces. They believe that they learn operational insights from these forces. They've purchased Russian military technology. 
and Chinese military writers generally assess the Russian military favorably, although they note certain problems, as we have seen on the, on the battlefield in Ukraine. So that's so far, I don't think they believe Russia's necessarily weaker, but if the result of this war is that Russia becomes a marginalized minor power or the state disintegrates further or a new leader takes over who's more favorable to the West, China could reassess. But I don't see an indication so far that China's making that assessment right now. What do you see, say, in two or three years? What will this ground war do to China? Well, China claims that the global south, so developing countries, are not siding with the West and Ukraine in this conflict. And China's trying to make itself out to be the leader of those countries, countries in Africa and, and Latin America. And they're saying that they're in the majority numerically, so that this war is not going to lead to decisive victory for Western interests. So that's, that's what they claim. I, I think in practice, you will have to see how China's relations with European countries proceed. Uh, since the 20th Party Congress, where she took a third term, perhaps an unlimited term, he has been trying to make nice with other leaders, uh, traveling around, and his tone has changed. And we'll see if that makes any impact on uh, frozen relations that China has had with many European countries in recent months. We'll also see what happens elsewhere, because this conflict could have an impact on North Korea, for example, since the role of nuclear weapons has been emphasized in Ukraine as Putin has used them to restrain Western intervention and this might embolden Kim Jong-un in North Korea to take further actions. And so we could have another conflict in Northeast Asia that follows from this conflict in Europe. We'll see you know, if China is motivated to take earlier action on Taiwan or not. China might be drawing lessons from the conflict in Ukraine for its own ambitions to take over Taiwan and um, what it calls reunification. What would you say is overall the single largest effect China is having on Ukraine now, politically, militarily, or in any other way? I think China does play a role in magnifying Russian propaganda on the war. They repeat what Russia says about the war and they have a certain degree of influence, especially in the developing world and in the UN. China prevents Russia from being isolated in the UN Security Council, so Russia is not alone. Even if it's not full-fledged support, they have abstained. It's more on the symbolic level that China has provided rhetorical support for Russia. Well, this has all been enlightening about China's role in this war and the Belt Road Initiative and China's wanting to come into Europe and have, have more partnerships with the West. And I'm grateful to you for giving us some insight and information. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my favorite topics 
you've written extensively about this. Would you recommend any particular articles of yours or anything else that we should read to get more educated about this subject? I do publish a blog called China's Resource Risks.com. So China's with an S, Resource Risks with an S.com. And most of my writing on this topic can be found there. I'm interested in how resource issues shape China's relations with other countries. And that's been actually a surprising angle for me to look at Ukraine. I was fascinated to find out how extensive China's reach really was in this region, how Ukraine fit into China's other agendas, its Belt and Road Initiative, its uh, military modernization, and its relationship with Russia. Dr. Elizabeth Wishnick, thank you for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. City, sung in Mandarin by Natalia. Our thanks to our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Wishnik, noted expert on Russia and China and senior research scholar at the Weatherhead East Asian Institute at Columbia University. She is the author of numerous publications including the Sino-Russian Partnership and the East Asian Order, 
China's interests and goals in the Arctic, the new Chinese-Russia-U.S. triangle, and she is the author of Mending Fences. Mending Fences illuminates the forces driving Moscow's China policy. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg. Recording by Michael Levine. For more information and to see pictures of our guests, go to ukraine242.com. To send a message of encouragement to the Ukrainian people, call 510-883-3115 and leave your voice message. Your words will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on Kraina FM's 24-city network, 510-883-3115. This is Anne Levine. Thank you for joining us. Until next week on Ukraine 242.